0: I don't think I need this (laughs) I don't need to be that far up there okay can everybody hear me okay there is kind of an echo up here well my name is Penny and I'm a member of Al-Anon thank you I needed that My home group is the Right Choice Group, and we meet in Huntley, Montana on Tuesday nights at 8 o'clock at the only church in Huntley, and um, you're all welcome to attend. Last time I did this one time in um, at a San Diego meeting, and I think there was like 300 and some people at that meeting, and I invited them all, and I go home to my home group because I share everything with my home group. I go home to my home group, and I said, you know, told them about the meeting in San Diego, and I said I invited everybody to the meeting, and I said there was about 300 and some people there, and they're like, we can't have that many people here. So they're not going to like all show up at once. Um, I, You know, obviously... To me, if there's a speaker that comes up here that is not nervous, uh, my hat's are, my hat is off to you because I am like, I'm always nervous. I mean, I bring up my water, and I don't know why I bring up my water. If I tried to drink some water, you'd probably think I did have a drinking problem because it would probably be everywhere. <laughs> so, okay. Um, I'd first of all like to say thank you to the committee. Um, You know, I'm always really curious how I get asked to speak somewhere. In Canada, I got asked because of a resentment, which, you know, that was kind of a cool deal. Um, And um, But I think, you know, I think, too, that Wanda had a little something to do with this. When I was in Sheridan and I spoke, I had said that, you know, I would probably come anywhere in in Wyoming to speak only because out of guilt. (laughs) Because Wanda asked me to speak in Wyoming. It's been some time ago, and I could not make it here. I, actually, it was out of fear more than anything else. Um, I couldn't get anybody to come with me, and I was afraid at that time. Due to some other circumstances, I was afraid to travel the roads by myself. Um, normally, in the past, that would have not been a problem whatsoever. I grew up in uh, what I thought was like a fairly normal home, home life. Um, I... I don't recall thinking that anything was different, except I thought that I was different. Um, Now, I'm going to tell you the story the way I remember it. Because what happened was, a lot of times, it wasn't as colorful or it wasn't as exciting as what I thought it should be. And so, like, I made a lot of stuff up along the way. And I have come to kind of believe some of those things, um, have found out that some of it's a little different. And so, I've had to change my story a little bit. But, like I said, when I grew up, I thought that I was in a normal household. Um, I just thought that I was the one that was maybe, you know, I was like the different baby that was picked up at the hospital. Uh, I didn't really feel like I fit in with my family. I grew up with a lot of fear and a lot of anger. Uh, basically, fear because, now, I, I need to tell you, first of all, that my dad, I can't say that my dad was an alcoholic. My dad never admitted that for himself, and I feel personally that if um, if a person is an alcoholic, they need to admit that for themselves. But when my dad drank, there were problems. My mom had uh, physical problems herself. Um, she had uh, diabetes. And so I don't really remember a lot about my mother. Uh, she was in the hospital a lot. And when I was growing up, I was doing things like treating diabetic ulcers um, that that occurred on her legs and things. So <clears throat> I grew up with a lot of fear in the fact that uh when my dad drank i was with him and he was driving uh, a lot of times we spent times in bars together and we spent times in liquor stores together and i was born in denver colorado and as i was growing up there were lots of changes i, w- I was thinking about this earlier today and i thought you know why did i have so much fear when i was growing up well i think a lot of it <clears throat> excuse me a lot of it had to do with Um, You know, moving from school to school, you never really get to know any one person. And I had a difficult time making a lot of friends when I was growing up. So when Dad, when I was young, Dad was um, doing some building in Boulder, Colorado. He was a carpenter cabinet maker. And I went with him, and, I mean, honestly, I didn't know it was illegal to drink and drive. For a long time, I didn't know it was illegal to drink and drive. But my dad would be... um, Drunk, And uh, we'd be coming off those switchbacks. And there were a lot of times where we would get real close to the edge and I thought I was going to die. And I believe today that that should not have to be something that children should have to think about when they're that young. Uh, so I think that's where a lot of the fear came from. And I think later on I had a lot of fear of driving. And I think some of it might have been linked to that. Um, when I think I was about... 11 or 12, we moved to Imperial, Nebraska. You know, in the meantime, we did lots of changes within Denver. And we moved to Imperial, Nebraska, which is where my uh, folks' family was from. Uh, I don't quite know why we made that change. But I felt closer being there because I had some family members that were there. And I was able to attend school with a lot of my cousins that were the same age. Now, <clears throat> up until this time, I mean, well, and I, I always, I think I always was pretty shy. And didn't really, you know, didn't feel like I fit in. I always felt like I was the one that was different. Um, my mom made my clothes. And, of course, they weren't, you know, tight like everybody else's were. And, and or they were baggy or they were weird colors or, you know, just whatever. And all those little Things that become like a complex when you get older. And so those were the kind of things, you know, I went to school thinking everybody was looking at me, basically. And I didn't think they were looking at me because I was cool. I thought they were looking at me because I was weird. Now, that was my perception of what I saw. Um, As I was going to school there... um, that was when there was a lot of weird things that were going on. And uh, with my family, you know, my mom spent a lot more time in the hospital. Uh, she'd be out of the home a lot, and my dad spent uh, most of his time in the pool hall, in the local pool hall. And so I spent a lot of time um, while I was growing up, not only when we were in Imperial, Nebraska, but also earlier um, learning how to cook for myself and learning how to take care of myself. I, I am an... Well to some extent we'll say right now I am an only child we'll say that for right now Um, I had a really good friend um, that I started sharing a lot of things with and felt pretty comfortable with when I was growing up Uh, her name was Janine and Janine and I started kind of palling around together and Janine was one that I started kind of sharing some things with that I never shared with anyone before and when I was about I think 14 or 15 years old, my mom sat me down at the uh, dining room table one day and she said, I have something to tell you. And I said, okay. And she said, "Um, I'm not your real mother. And I said, oh, really? And being the snot that I was, I said, well, I always knew that. And she said, well, do you know who your real mother is? And it's like, you know, I never gave this another thought. And I said, no, I don't. And she said, well, your real mother is who you have always thought was your stepsister. And I just went, oh. Okay, so, like, who's my dad? And she said, your dad is your dad. So <clears throat> I just kind of jumped into that this time. I get, you know, as time goes on in Al-Anon, it, it's harder for me to say, you know, to talk about my mom. And um, now it's easier for me to just like jump right into it because it's like I want to get rid of the lie anymore. But I grew up thinking that this woman was my mother and I mean right then and there everything changed. I mean who I always thought was my sister is now my mother, who I always knew was my dad is my dad. And I'm going, man, this is confusing. And if you think you people are confused, you should have been in my shoes. So... Alanon has helped me with that over the years. As a matter of fact, at that time I had a real difficult time picking out cards, and it's gotten easier over the years. This last time, Bob and I we went in to pick out a Mother's Day card, and the cards start to look a little bit different. You know, they start to get a little a little warmer. Um, it's not just to someone special. You know, now it's to my mother, and that's why it's gotten easier for me to talk about it. Uh, we, since that time, my real mom and I have been able to sit down and have some conversations about. It. Uh, some things that I really didn't want to hear about. You know, it was real difficult for her growing up in that family because she was living a lie, basically. Um, the rest of the family thought that she was sent off to school and she was sent off to have me. She was basically raped by her stepfather. And when um, when my dad did die, she had she was very bitter. She was very angry. And I had really close feelings for my dad. So it was a very, it was a very touchy thing to work through. I'll tell you what, if it wasn't for Al-Anon, I wouldn't have worked through it. I I thank Al-Anon every day and my higher power every day for helping me to feel more comfortable about that and and talking about it. Um, So, you know, by this time, okay, now there's like a new thing in my life. And this is like pretty exciting. And this, you know, this hasn't happened to anybody else. So I shared this with my friend Janine and I shared it also with a cousin And when I was 16 years old, the woman that raised me, that I kind of knew, died. And that was pretty much my first experience of um, a death in the family. And I didn't really know this woman. Because she was always in the hospital and I always, you know, dad went out and drank and somebody talked earlier about, you know, the non-drinking parent as being the bad guy. Well, she was. She was the bad guy. I was the one that was saying, that was thinking in my mind, you know, if you didn't act so mean to him or if you didn't have this this little petty thing, you know, where you've got this disease supposedly called diabetes, then maybe dad wouldn't drink. And um, I have ad, I have had to work through that with Al-Anon, and today um, I, I feel more comfortable about it than what I did then. I had a lot of guilt because I didn't feel remorse when this woman died. I didn't know her. Number one, I hardly knew her at all, but. Shortly after that time, there were some women in the community. I I should back up a second. The reason that she had told me this is because she was afraid that the same thing was going to happen to me. And I had said, no way. You know, Dad's not going to do this to me. You know, no way. I mean, I just basically didn't want to think about it. It just was not going to happen to me. And I, I will tell you that it didn't happen to me. Um, I feel very fortunate for that. Uh, my dad, to me, was always the good guy. Um, he treated me, uh, you know, I was daddy's little girl. I went everywhere with him. I, like I said, I went to the bars with him. I went to the liquor stores with him. Um, I went everywhere with him. Uh, there was one time when when we moved and we went to a bar and he had said to me, he said, you know, don't don't tell your mother that we went here. It'll be our little secret. And that was a big deal to me. So when I went those places with him, you know, he showed me off. I was important. And that's where I got all of the praise and all of those kinds of things. So that was a really big deal to me. Um, I graduated from high school. Uh, you know, I could, I could tell you all kinds of... I'll tell you the truth. I really, you know, I hate coming up here and telling my story. This is something that I really need to do for my program. I mean, I, you know, I I love having a captive audience. That's the greatest part. But, you know, the first thing I want to do when I come up here is, like, throw up. Because I'm like so nervous. And then once I get into it, it's like, okay, well then I don't have enough time to talk. But, <clears throat> but I have always said, you know, my past is always so boring. So, uh, you know, and really when I think about it, there's been a lot of times where I've spent time on my past and it's like, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I got a lot of things to talk about in Alanon. So, you know, and I got shorter than usual time. So while I machine gun through this, uh, just try and hold on. Um, anyhow, so, Graduated from high school, really not a lot of big deals, except, you know, I still continue with the lies. And the reason I think I did a lot of that was because I was going to be a tough girl. Um, I didn't want people to know that I was hurting inside. I didn't want people to know that I was afraid. And um, so when things would get kind of fearful or when I would feel out of place, then I'd tell a lie to kind of make up for it. I'd, I'd just make the, make the story sound better. I'd just stretch it out a little bit. And I'll tell you there was a couple times where it did get a little bit confusing because I wasn't real sure who I told what lie to. But I was able to pull that together. Graduate from high school. I got a I got a an art scholarship to go to a college. Um, I went to a uh, for a two-year college. I had gotten a an art scholarship for a full tuition and a $100 art scholarship. And I went to this college, and I'll tell you, I mean, talk about somebody going out into the world naive. And it was, you know, by the grace of God that I am here today because of some of the bizarre things that I did. Uh, I, I mean, I just did not know what I was going out there for. Um, I, I was very fortunate because the college that I went to was small and the people were nice, basically. But back home... Everyone else was either, you know, they were getting married, getting pregnant, and having an affair. And, you know, they have to get they have to get married before they have an affair, but it doesn't mean that they got pregnant next. They were doing, I mean, there was just too many bizarre things going on, and of course those did not meet up to my standards, and so I decided that I was going to do something with my life. And, you know, I have searched after that, do something with my life, be somebody, up until after I came into Al-Anon. And, you know, I don't know if I wanted my, my picture on the front of Time Life magazine or what exactly I wanted, but I was just out there searching for it, and I didn't quite know what it was. So I decided that I was going to just, like, move north. And I went home, and I packed up all of my stuff, and I headed for uh, Billings, Montana. And I had a job before I went to Billings. I turned in a bunch of resumes, and so I had a job, um, which, by the way, I should tell you that uh, I had to go under custody because I was under 18 years old, and if I would have been picked up in Nebraska at that time, I would have been considered a runaway, and so I had to go under custody. So I get to Billings, and I'm going to be somebody, and I got my name in at the phone company, and I worked at a motel for about a week, and then I got a got a job at the phone company. And to me, you know, I thought, well, you know, now that still did not quite make it. So I thought... I don't think I just, like, sat back and thought about this, but, you know, okay, what do you do? You just, you know, you got to look for a mate. And it was like, okay, well, the best place to do that in was probably a bar, you know, because I wasn't going to go hang out in the liquor stores. Now, like, as far as my drinking career up to this, it was, like, pretty much nil, I mean, up to zero. I didn't do, like, the college partying. I didn't hang out with all those people. Uh, I do need to back up for just a second. See, this is a part that I always get kind of nervous about. Okay, I'm going to jump around in my... Okay, well, we'll hang on here. All right. Um, right after we graduated from high school, I had four of my friends, one of them being my best friend, Janine, that um, got killed in a car wreck. And, you know, I was raised... Methodist. I mean, it was kind of like hardcore Methodist, but I mean, I always think that Catholics are a little bit more hardcore. But I kind of had like a belief in God to some extent. And when that happened, I, you know, I like lost all my belief. I could not understand why my best friend was taken away from me and three of my classmates along with it. I didn't get that at all. I couldn't understand how come God punished me. And that was how I looked at it, was that God punished me for Janine's death. And so here was somebody that I shared all this information with, and we were like best of buds, and now she was gone. And to me, when I think about it now, it was like another brick on the lair. You know, I was just putting up another layer of bricks and I was just going to be a tough girl. And I was just going to hold it in and I wasn't going to let anybody know about it, that it bothered me, that it hurt me. I was just going to be a tough girl. So that's when I went on to college and now I moved to Billings and I'm going to go out and I'm going to find, you know, my soulmate or whatever. And so... Uh, Rather than hanging out in liquor stores, I went to bars. And, um, you know, I've always said you could line up probably a 100 men over here, and I could probably pick out every drug addict and alcoholic. I am like attracted to those people like magnets. I mean, you people are fun. I mean, you go to different places, you meet new people, there's always something exciting going on. And lying, I mean, you know, I can join right in there with the best of you. I can scope you people out anywhere. Trust me. I can find you anywhere. So, you know, most of the guys that I dated were, well, some of them are in the program or have come through the program anyway. And uh, there was one guy that I dated, though, that didn't seem to have a drinking problem or a drug problem, which, you know, I never thought of it as a problem then. Now I reflect back on that and I think, oh, you know, he never did drink, never did party. It's boring. I always thought there was two kinds of people. I thought there were Bible thumpers and I thought there were drinkers. And I sure as heck was not going to hang out with the Bible thumpers because the drinkers had the action going. And that's just where I wanted to be. Right in the middle of the action. So I was kind of hanging out with some guys that were... Um, this, uh, you know, I need to kind of tell this story to just kind of show you, you know, not only how naive I was, but how helpful I am. Um, when I first moved to Billings, there was this guy that came and told me, you know, that he was on his, you know, on his hard luck. And he had been, uh, he was on parole for murder. And he couldn't, therefore, you know, he could not stash any firearms or any drugs in his house. And it's like, hey, you know, I'll help you out. Just bring him over. <laughs> so... My trailer became like the local drug stash. You know, I didn't think about that we were going to run into problems of any kind. I thought, you know, this is like something I need to be doing in life. I need to help these people out. You know, they'd all come over and pull the curtain shut. Now, these are some paranoid people, I'm telling you what. Pull the curtain shut, get out the booze, and we'd be cutting all this stuff up. And I'm, you know, tearing out the Playboy magazines, making the little paper diapers, and we're weighing all this stuff. And I helped him sell it. As a matter of fact, there was a guy, the gal that brought me in, al her husband was in AA and I was helping him sell cocaine. It's like, yeah, I mean, you know, this is like I said, it's, you know, they're calling you up at all times of night, the tires are in. Oh, okay, where are we going to meet? You know, and I think we got a big thing going down here. So, you know, I thought I was like really hitting some big action on this and so that was kind of like where my mentality was at the time. That's why I say, boy, for the grace of God, you know. Uh, so there was this one time I was in a bar and, and uh, I was out with a guy and we were dancing. And we come back over and we're sitting around the bar. And and I happened to look over. There was like a little party going on over here to my left. And, and I look over and I scoped out this guy's mustache. I mean, that was the thing that I zeroed in on. And I spied him. And he came over and I said, I I am in love with your mustache. And so, you know, a few few things exchanged. The guy that I was with got a little bit jealous, and he he gets ready to haul me up, back out on the dance floor, and I said, wait right here, I'll be right back. And he says, yeah, yeah. So I go out and I dance, and I come back, and this guy with the big mustache is gone. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I saw this man, and it was like, that is a man I'm going to marry. Hey, I got my wish. What about you? <laughs> well, <clears throat> he's gone. Nobody knows who he is. Now, I'm telling you, we, those of us, those are the people that, you know, that I go to meetings with back home. We are a persistent people. I don't know about the rest of the Al-Anon members in here, but we are persistent. We do not give up. I went into that bar every single day for a week asking every barmaid, every client, everyone in there if they knew this guy named Bob with this big mustache, and I thought maybe he was a fireman. Finally, one week later, the barmaid coughs it up. And, you know, I learned later that probably everybody knew, but nobody was giving it away. So she gives out the last name. Okay, I'll try not to do the anonymity thing this time, sweetheart. I just blurted out his last name last time. Uh, Anyway, so she gives me his last name, and I immediately go to the phone book, and there's two of them in the phone book. Now, we're real good at this. I picked the first name on the list, I don't remember if first or second, whichever. I picked a name, and um, I called it up, and this woman answered the phone. Now, you know, mind you, I have my morals. I am not going to hang out with a married man. <laughs> like, that went down the toilet a long time ago. But, <clears throat> so I said, is Bob there? And she said, no, he's not. Uh, she told me they'd be back at 11, and so, you know, I'm like watching the watch. At exactly 11 o'clock, I call him up. I said, do you remember me? He says, yes, I do. I said, can you meet me? Yes, you can. He comes down the bar. He slides the chairs together. I said, my place or yours? And he said, yours. And hey, we were on a whirlwind of a dating session as far as I was concerned. I mean, it was more like, who was it that said, hold hostage? Yeah, that was more like what it was for me. I called it dating. Dating. I had to kind of come to terms with that. Oh, it's been like maybe a couple years. It was like, oh, maybe we really weren't dating. You know, but hey, who knows what dating is? I mean, what's the term of it? So basically what I did for the next, I don't know, three years or so was he would go like, it was like hide and seek kind of is how I think of it now. He would hide his truck and I would go seek it. Um, You know, there are alcoholics that talk about getting up in the morning and they look in the mirror and they say, I am not going to drink today. I would get up in the morning and I'd look in the mirror and I'd say, I am not going to go find that man today. If he wants to be with me, he can find me and he can call me. And then I'd spend all day long thinking about why I needed to be with him. Now, I didn't see this as a problem. And then I'd do things like, um, and he had a very distinguished vehicle. So I would do things like pull up next to his vehicle at his local bar, and I would go in and I'd like hang out in the, in the corner until it got to that right time. Does everybody know what that right time is? It's kind of like when they get to that point between, um, you know, it's like in between the angry stage. So they get to the point where they're, you know, I think they're still coherent. <laughs> yeah, right. And um, the angry, and then they get to the beyond. They get to the beyond where everything's cool, where you look gorgeous there, you're great to see, you know, the money's free. Everything's like, and we're going to go do something. And so I would kind of watch him off in the distance, and then I'd I'd scope out for this time. And then I'd go over and I'd say, I didn't know you were here. (laughs) And this is how it went, basically, for about three years. I, as I said, you know, my drinking career was... I didn't do that. Uh, Basically, the reason I didn't like to drink was, like, I like to be in control of the situation. I didn't like the little headache thing. I didn't like, you know, losing that. You know, when alcoholics talk about that little moment that they get to, man, I did not look for that moment. And so these guys drank a lot. And... I knew, I mean, this is probably the only time that this bartender in this bar didn't blurt out something, uh, some sort of obscenity or something bizarre about me. But he came over to me and he said, you know, what do you want to do with all this beer on ice? And I said, well, like, what are you talking about? And he said, well, you know, these guys have been br- buying rounds all night. And what do you want to do with all this beer on ice? And I said, well, resell it. No wonder that bar made such a fortune. Anyway... Um, what I'd usually do is I'd get a little amaretto on the rocks, and I could sip on that all night, and nobody knew the difference. And so I became the driver. I mean, you know, you got to have a purpose. This was my purpose, and this, I thought it was helpful. I thought I'd be helpful, so I became the driver and the cooler carrier. That was another little thing that I... You know, it it wasn't like I resented any of this. You know, that was what I needed to do. That was my purpose. These guys needed to go somewhere to drink, and so that's where we would go. We'd go meet some people. We'd go pick some more people up. You know, hitchhiker here, hitchhiker there. You know, we were just going down the road, and we were just, I didn't even know where we were going. It's like, point me in that direction, and if you want to go find another Alki, that's just where we're going. Now, I need to tell you, you know, I had no idea about Alcoholics Anonymous, about Al-Anon. I didn't even, in my concept, I believe, alcoholics were like skid row bums, you know, the people that you see laying in the gutter and that just don't get up, that like crawl across the, you know, from bar to bar. I think that was my perception of what an alcoholic is. And so... I had no idea that drinking was any kind of a problem whatsoever. Through this, um, I did I did things like you know call in for the alcoholic and uh, call in sick for him. And you know I had a couple of family members that died several times because I needed to be there with the alcoholic. I mean he needed me. He needed me to drive. Um, so th- this, like I said, went on for about three years and. Um, I became very, very attached to this man, uh, and it wasn't, I don't even know if it was, well, I know it wasn't love. I mean, today, what I understand, that's not what it was. It was pure, outright addiction. And when I came in Al-Anon and they were talking about addiction, I said, no, you people don't get it. I mean, I thought, okay, I'm different. I am different. I said, you people don't get it. I am not addicted to the alcoholic. I'm obsessed with the alcoholic. You don't get it. I think about this man 24 hours a day. There is not a moment that goes by. I mean, I'd wake up in my in the middle of the night thinking about him. And they're like, well, no screaming, Pen. Why do you think the rest of us are here? And it's like, oh, okay. So that was like a normal thing. You know, we were all thinking about him. So... <clears throat> I always like to describe it the way it became is if I could have sat on his lap and breathed the air that he was breathing, I might have been content. I didn't realize how much time I had spent with this person becoming the entire part of my life until that last moment when he told me he didn't want me in his life anymore. And I thought that's it. You know, that's the end. The way that I describe it is like a big wagon wheel. And the hub was like the center of my life, and that was the alcoholic. And the little spokes that went out were like all the things that the alcoholic did. So I did everything that the alcoholic did, from the clothes that I wore, the vehicles that I drove, the people I ran around with, the way that I acted. Everything had to do with the alcoholic. If you would have asked me what I like to do, I could have told you what the alcoholic likes to do. I could have probably told you everything about the alcoholic. But when it came to me, uh uh-uh. And I had a lot of tough times in there, a lot of um, you know like willing the phone to ring kind of things. I had a lot of really bizarre things going on to where uh, my um, uh, my self confidence depended upon the alcoholic. I know there was a point where I had thought that if I looked better than the alcohol, then maybe the alcoholic would be with me now you know at this point he didn't have any idea that he was an alcoholic and neither did I. As a matter of fact, before I ever came in Allen on, the gal that brought me in, she said, do you think that drinking might be a problem? And it's like, I don't, I don't think so. So, at this point the alcoholic tells me that he no longer wants to be with me and I'm gonna like go into his bathroom and I'm gonna cut my wrist. And he said, no, you're not doing that at my house. So, there was a week in there and, <clears throat> That week is starting to come back to me. I didn't do drugs during that week. I didn't drink during that week. You know, so I just want you to know it's not like any, like a chemical blackout. I had, like, I guess a mental overload, just could not handle it anymore, and I lost a week in there. Uh, sometime later when I was moving, I came across a whole bunch of sleeping pills, and I, you know, I looked at the date on those, that the receipt, and I know that those were purchased during that week, and I guess I had intentions of taking those pills. I, you know, I don't know. I just, I could not imagine life without the alcoholic. And then I found out, uh, the alcoholic came to me and said that uh, he was going to check him for treatment. And I remembered my friend talking about, did she thought that he, did I think that he had a drinking problem? And I went to her and I told her and um, that was when I found out about Al-Anon. And I'll tell you, it was, it was okay when the alcoholic was in treatment because I didn't have to think about him. I mean, I knew where he was. But the continual thought was there all the time, and I didn't know what to do with that. When I came to my first meeting and I walked in the meeting, I mean, you know, here's the girl that has it all together and nobody else knows what they're doing. I looked around the room and I thought, you know, if you people had it together the way I got it together, then you wouldn't have to be here anymore. So I came into you like real cocky. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that I have had to pray about and work on in my life is not only working with women and uh, finally getting some women friends. I mean, it's like, it's almost like a relief for me because I had a really difficult time with women. But I also had a difficult time letting down my guard. Um, they told me in Al-Anon, as a matter of fact, I did a lot of things in Al-Anon, I always I like telling this, I did a lot of things in Al-Anon in spite of you. I mean, people would talk about, you know, this little feeling and what was going on, and they would say what they did, and I would say, you know, I'd say, in my mind, I'd think, okay, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to show you it doesn't work. So, uh, at that time, I was working with a gal, and um, uh, her name was Jane. And this is the Jane syndrome that I like to tell about. Um, This has helped me a lot in my life. Uh, I was working with a gal, and her name is Jane, and we were like total opposites. I mean, I was a perfectionist. Everything had its place, was perfect in order, and everything had a purpose. And, of course, I did all the work. You know, I was the great one. I was the one, the little martyr. You know, it was like I wouldn't allow Jane to do the work because she wouldn't do it right kind of a thing. And Jane basically was a lot different than me. At that time, I thought Jane was a slob. But she, we were just opposites really more than anything else. You know, really, and I can tell you today, honestly, Jane has a heart of gold. I mean, I, I really believe that she would give me the shirt off of her back if I needed it. But... I had this incredible hate for Jane. And Jane helped me with my program so much. I mean, I was down in the bathroom probably about every 10 minutes learning that book. And we went to I went to an open meeting one time and they were talking about this feeling. And let me tell you when I first came in Al anon, I only had one feeling now. It was hate. I mean, I was angry all the time. There were times when I would start to get angry and I didn't even know where I was coming from. I didn't even know why I got angry. I mean, it was just anger all the time. And I honestly believe today that that was, that anger was all of those other feelings all covered up. Just didn't know what else to do with them. Just, that was the only, that was the only feeling that I was comfortable with and that I was accustomed to and so that was how I felt most of the time. So when I came to all of you, I was very angry. And I had this new kind of anger where, you know, like I wanted to this woman. And I have like these fist fights in my mind. I mean, it would just start out on Sunday and it would just like be a boil. And I would just have these big fist fights in my mind before I ever came to So, talking about this feeling, and it's like I'm right on the edge of my chair. I mean, I can relate to this big time. And so, get right to the bitter end, and I'm like, what is it? What is it? And it's like resentment okay, so what do we do with that? So we peel off in our meetings and I go to my al I meeting and I said, okay, so I have this resentment thing. So what do I do about this? And they said, well, Pin, you know, you're going to need to pray for Jane. It's like, you have got to be kidding me. Pray for Jane? So... You know, another thing i got to tell you right now, another thing I've learned in Al-Anon is to kind of clean up my little potty mouth, my barroom mouth. But this was my very first prayer. And let me tell you, I gave up on God. I gave up on doing deals with God because, you know, the phone wouldn't ring when I tried to make a deal with God. So it was like I gave up on making deals. And my very first prayer in this program was, God bless that bitch because I can't. And it started to work. I did that, you know, I did it just to show you that it wouldn't work. And it started, now. I didn't tell you that it worked. Not during that week, I didn't tell you that it didn't work. I prayed for all that week, that exact same prayer, and things kind of felt a little bit differently. It wasn't quite as intense. And so, you know, and then I went through Saturday and Sunday, and of course, you know, you only pray five days, that's it. You know, Monday through Friday, that's it. So I skip Saturday and Sunday, and I go back to my meeting, and I'm, well, Penn, how's it going? It's like, it didn't work. Tell, you know, I could have told you it wouldn't work. And it's like, well, do you still pray for her? And I said, are you kidding me? A week. A week tops. That's it. And it's like, no, Pen, you got to pray for her probably for the rest of your life. Oh, man. You know, the first time when we said the little the prayer at the end, I mean, I'm thinking... This place is kind of weird anyway, and these people, you know, if they had it together like I did, then we wouldn't have to be in this. We wouldn't have to be doing this. I couldn't see where my life was unmanageable. I'm looking at the steps. I got them all figured out. I got this thing, rocket science. And we're holding hands, and we say the prayer, and I'm thinking, I have just joined a cult. (laughs) I cannot (laughs) believe this. But you know what? In my mind, I knew that that was the only place that I could make it. Because I know today, if I hadn't gone to Al-Anon, I'd either be in jail, I'd be in insane asylum, or I'd be dead. They talk about Montana as being the last best place. I mean, I don't want to get up on that billboard and I don't want to wipe out Montana. I don't want to put Al-Anon as the last best place. Because Al-Anon has really saved my life. Now, I went in there for the wrong reasons. I went to Al-Anon because honestly, and I didn't admit to this for a long time, I didn't discover it. There's a lot of things I discover every day. I mean, it's like, poof, man, that's a cool deal. Everything I'm saying to you is just stuff I hear in meetings. I just pick it up along the way and I just, you know, keep on carrying the mess, kind of throwing my own stuff. Anyway, the only reason I ever went to Al-Anon was because I figured If I acted as if I were interested in something that the alcoholic was interested in, he'd keep me in his life. I was the only reason I went to al The only reason I got a sponsor was because I didn't want to be left behind. The alcoholic was learning something up there. He was going to be 20 steps ahead of me, and I didn't want to be left behind. So I not only got a sponsor, but I picked a sponsor that was involved in the treatment center that he was in. See, I didn't get invited for family week. And I'm telling you what, I went up there, and I gave that counselor probably about the last piece of my mind that I had. I informed him that if anybody could tell this man's history that I was the one that needed to be up there talking about it. And he said, well you know, do you go to Al-Anon? I said, yes, I do. And he said, that's where you need to keep going. I said, okay. <laughs> so <clears throat> I had a lot of anger. They told me, you know, to do these things, to try these things. Um, I started working on the steps right away with my sponsor. One of the things that they told me in Al-Anon was to, uh, well, one of the things, you know, only two things that they ever told me to do in Al-Anon. One of them was to keep coming back. And, you know, nobody told me for a long time to keep coming back. I'd gotten 86 out of bars for starting fights and then just kind of leave it up to everybody else. I loved that part. That was a great part. Um, But I also got kicked out of some bars for starting my own fights. And uh, finishing them. And, um, you know, I didn't have a lot of people telling me to keep coming back. And these people told me to keep coming back. And as much as I disliked all of you, you know, it was like all these women in here. I was like, what is this, a women's club? All these women. I mean, I didn't like women. But, you know, they had something that I wanted. And it seemed as if they were pretty happy. And they were laughing. And there was nothing that was funny. I remember the slogan that says... Um, how important is it? Well, let me tell you something. It was like real important in my life. Everything was extreme in my life. So when, when they'd ask me how important it is, it's like, it's real important. So another thing that they told me to do in Al-Anon was they said, Pen, you need to spend an hour a day by yourself with yourself. I mean, I didn't even know who I was. The first picnic that we went to, I didn't, I couldn't even pick out the bowl to put it in. I didn't have any idea. I remember thinking in my mind, what do I like to do? I got so spooked about what I like to do, I was scared to death. But no one was going to know that. So my hour a day, I spent in a bubble bath bawling my eyes out. Because I wasn't going to let anybody else see that. None of you were going to see how hurt I was inside. Well, duh. Like nobody could see that. I mean, think about it a minute. So I was like really fooling a lot of people. What I thought was I was fooling myself. One of the things that I did promise myself that I would really try and do was it was like I kind of said, you know, Penn, I don't care if you lie to everyone else, but try and not lie to yourself. You know, for some reason, I thought that that was real important to try to quit lying to myself. It got to the point where when I first started in Al-Anon, I'd go to work and I'd like put on blinders. You know, I had to, like, focus on my work. and that's what they were paying me to do, right? But I had this, like, ear tunnel vision circular thing going on where if somebody, you know, like 20 offices away would say, I don't know how to use this fax machine, poof, I was there. I mean, I knew how to do everything, anything, and I knew how to do it right, and there was no other way. I mean, you didn't know. You just didn't know. So that was the attitude that I came in here with. I thought I knew more than everyone else. And so I wasn't going to lead on that I was, like, trying these little things. And I was trying them to basically show you that they didn't work. Um, so I tried the thing with sponsorship, and it started to work. Um, they told me to, uh, we were having a roundup, and they asked me if I would please be willing to come to the roundup and hand out these little recipes for our group. And I said, sure, you know. So I did that, and everybody was, like, so proud of me. And it's like, oh, wow, you know, this is a pretty cool deal. So, you know, I thought well helping out is pretty cool. And um, they made me feel a part of. I mean I'd never felt a part of anything before. Uh so they made me feel a part of, they said, Penn, you know, we really need you to make the coffee. Well, let me tell you what, there ain't nobody that can make coffee better than me. I mean I was the coffee maker. I mean, I knew where the coffee was, I knew I needed to be there at a certain time, I knew how many scoops to put in, I knew just the right amount of water. And when the next coffee maker came in, I sat her down and I instructed her on making this coffee. (laughs) I mean, that was my job in life. You know, thank goodness they did that for me. And... So I'm working through the steps, and, well, I should tell you, you know, by this time, uh, the alcoholic has gotten out of treatment. Now, right before the alcoholic got out of treatment, I kind of, like, had major mind overload. Uh, I was, like, real flipped out. Okay, like, so now the alcoholic is going to be out there, you know, in with bazillions of people, and I'll lose him. And I won't know where he goes to. I can not get it to come off. Oh, fine. Oh, good. Okay. <clears throat> so I thought I was going to lose the alcoholic and that I'd never see him again. And uh, one of the gals in the Al-Anon meeting, she said, Penn, she said, you know, rather than take it a day at a time, she said we may need to narrow it down to five minutes at a time. So I'll tell you, it was a major accomplishment for me. I'd look up at the clock, five minutes had gone by. I hadn't thought about the alcoholic. This was a major accomplishment for me. Al-Anon, I mean, there are some things... I'll tell you, I wouldn't have my job today if it wasn't for Al-Anon. I wouldn't have the friends that I have today if it wasn't for Al-Anon. And, you know, like Bob had talked earlier, and I, I really believe in this too, the program a design for living this program is not just the meetings i honestly believe that it has to do with reading the literature you know having a sponsor and using that sponsor you know call for me i need to call my sponsor regularly at least once a week whether i'm having a bad time or not um, I need to uh, work with newcomers, go to my meetings, take other people to meetings with me, you know, do these kinds of things that I don't like to do. And there's only been, I mean, one time, honestly, Wanda, that I've only said no. And I'll tell you, it was like I was guilt-ridden for till now. And now, you know, I'm kind of getting that little relief. But i I will normally... I mean, I have not said no yet that I can remember to an Al-Anon request. And the reason I don't is because they said, you put into this program, no, whatever you put into this program, you will get back double. And it's like, okay, well, I'll show you that that won't work. So that's what I started to do. And that's what I started to get. I mean, I cannot give enough back for what this program has given me. Um, You know, they... They always said, you know, pen, the, the answers are always in the 12 by 12 and in the uh, service manual. And so, here not too long ago, i, I got to tell this story. Here not too long ago, uh, I was going to do an interview thing for uh, another job within the company, and um, I thought, well, okay, you know, another, you know, another time where I'm going to prove them wrong. <sighs> You'd think I'd get past this. But so it's helped me out so far. Um, so I thought, okay, all the answers are in the 12 by 12 and the service manual. So, I mean, I read the whole 12 by 12. I mean, I've been through the steps, and I know a lot of stuff about the 12 by 12, but I'm reading it with this point, you know, that I'm going to do this interview. So I read the whole 12 by 12. I read the whole service manual. I read some different things on one day at a time and I have this interview and you would have thought this person was a member of the program I mean, this person was asking me questions that came right out of this 12 by 12 and right out of the service manual. The things that I related were things that I learned in Al-Anon. I mean, to me, that's, I mean, I don't know if I just kind of went blind for like about 12 years or what, but it just seems like all the big businesses, every all the corporation stuff that they're talking about has to do with program stuff. I mean, they're out there teaching these big classes that are things that I get to learn in this program. Things that I get to learn with people that are just like me. You know, Norma said one time, she says, Where can you go and say that you love an alcoholic and not be ridiculed? But an Al-Anon meeting. I mean, that feels wonderful. Because people aren't going to laugh at me. Well, they laugh, you know, but we laugh, you know, we laugh with one another. You know, they're not going to laugh at me, though, and say, Oh, you stupid, you know. There's a lot of people that do not understand that addiction, that obsession, the disease. And people that are in the meetings, we understand that addiction, that obsession, that disease. Uh, here not too long ago, there was a big thing with my group. And i got to tell you, my group, you know, we're really uh, close-knit. And every time I go somewhere, you know, I, I always tell them about it. Uh, I need to back up for just a second here recently my job and i think this is kind of an important thing maybe to share um, my job i think it's been about 5 years ago has taken me out of state it's like i report to the airport on monday and then i go out and i fly somewhere and then i come home sometimes i got to stay the weekend and then i come home one of the things that i promised myself that i promised myself that i would do is that when i got there or before i got to wherever i was going i would find an al anon meeting i would find a meeting every single day of the week whether it be al anon or a or an open meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, because that was a promise that I would make to myself. I'm telling you what, there are some cool meetings out there. And that was one of the things that I feel really good that my higher power and this program have given to me is to be able to have the courage to call other people that aren't just my home group, to be able to call those people and find a meeting. I'll tell you what, I found a great meeting in Cheyenne, Wyoming on Monday nights at the hospital. That was a great meeting it it always ended up you know whenever I was having like crappy work atmosphere then I usually found some great meetings Spokane, Washington has some great meetings if you ever need to go somewhere give me a buzz maybe I know some meetings for you but let me tell you if you got to go out of town and I know a lot of people have to do that nowadays don't be afraid to pick up the phone those people at those meetings are just like all of you in here they're just like you and I and I was so amazed when I was able to make those people like my little home group away from home you know and I was able to talk to those people just like you and I when i went to tacoma to work i mean i was in there and i was scared to death this is the first time i'm going out for this type of a job and i'm going in and i'm going to train on this product and i'm i'm like freaked about this so i get everything all laid out you know and i get everything ready to go and i go in there and i'm thinking pen just be honest that's the one thing that rang into my mind that this program keeps on telling me just be honest just be yourself so I'm in there just, I mean, all heck bent to be honest and be myself. And when I didn't know the answer, I'd tell them, I really don't know that answer. I'd write it down and i tell them that I'd get back to them. And I mean, I was like sweating bullets by the end of this whole thing and i pass out the little questionnaires and they mark me excellent. And I'm like, whoa, I'm like blown away. Pretty soon these people are like giving me presents. They're asking me to go to dinner with them. They want to take me to, into their homes. They want to go to meetings with me. They want to know more about me. I go home to Bob and I said, What's with these people? Why do they, Why are they giving me this stuff? Why Why are they like asking me to go to dinner? Why are they calling me? And Bob says, Pam, they like you. You know what? It's the first time that it really hit home to me that someone likes me for who I am, who I've become in this program. I mean, that was like a cool deal. I mean, people actually wanted to be my friend. And I didn't know them. I didn't know him, and it was because of everything that Al-Anon has taught me, all of you people have taught me, and because of the because of my higher power. And it's those things. When I came in Al-Anon, I didn't really believe in God. I mean, it was kind of a, you know, do or die situation. It was like I didn't wake up one morning and have a lightning bolt. As a matter of fact, I always said, you know, i got to have a lightning bolt for this thing to work. And I'll tell you a little lightning bolt story. Um, you know, I would say, well, you know, if there would have been lightning bolts, I would have been fried quite a few times. I mean, it's like, duh, Pan, aren't you getting it yet? We were. Uh, this was shortly after we had gotten in the program, and you know, you, I, I don't know if anybody's ever gone through this. It's like the the alcoholics hanging out with all these alkies, and it's like. Fine, you know, fine. Go hang out with all the alkies. Now you're never around, you know, and I feel like this little selfish person. And, you know, I'm sick of those alkies. I don't want to see them anymore. You know, I want you to spend more time with me, pay more attention to me. So we're going to go camping. And it's like, all right, you know, we're going to get away from these people. So we head out and like to nowhere land. And we're like scoping out all these camping places. And, of course, now i was still in the perfectionist stage. That was within the first three years, by the way. And that was, that was why it was so crazy, Albie. It was like hell. Our first three years of marriage was hell, and so we're scoping out all these camping places, and we come to this one. I think it was in Woodbine. I mean, we're like nowhere, and we pull in, and we look. You know, I look over, and here's this guy in this little hammock, and he's in the program. I think, God, these people—they just don't leave us. They're everywhere. So we go over, we set up camp, put on the coffee. This guy comes over, he knocks on the door, he's got to talk. Now that's a different story. Let me tell you, when when someone is in need and they got to talk, i still got that little string, you know, that kind of hangs out there with myself. I'm willing to help you out anytime. So someone's got to talk and we got an alky that's on the verge, and by God, you know, I'm still in there wanting to help you out, still wanting to fix you. And Bob's always like, whoa, Pen, whoa, hold you back. So this guy's got to come in, he's got to have coffee. So we sit down and he proceeds to tell us that right when he was getting, right when we pulled in, he's getting ready to shoot himself. Now you tell me that that ain't a God deal. I mean, that was like a lightning bolt. That did not hit me for probably a year later when I saw this guy at a roundup. It's like, you know, I mean, if we hadn't pulled in, then he would have shot himself. I mean, little things like that, I didn't realize until later. I came to believe in a power, you know, greater than myself. That's what really happened. It wasn't like, poof, I believed. It was like after a period of time, that's what happened. It's all of the things that, you know they've talked about in the meetings and all of the things that they teach you in the program and all those little teeny tiny things that people say all those little one-liners and all those little cool things and I always thought that suit up and show up was a really cool thing and I didn't say that somebody else said that and it got me real psyched that day when she said it And I just like those little things it's taking all of those things together and that's what makes it okay that's what makes it okay when I go out there in the middle of nowhere all by myself, and don't know anyone, and I'm scared. I have all those little things together that make it okay. And I'm telling you, if it wasn't for you people and the program of Al-Anon, and thank goodness for Alcoholics Anonymous because that's where we got our program, I wouldn't be here today. Long time into the program, um, my group decided that we were going to sponsor an Alateen group, and, and this is kind of an important part too. The Alateen sponsor talked yesterday, and I think this is important. Um, I was like the only candidate. I was like the only one that didn't have kids, and everybody's looking at me, and it's like, okay, fine. You know, if we're going to do this deal, you know, it's like, I mean, I don't like kids. I can't stand kids. I mean, they're just like a bunch of little curtain crawlers to me. And it's like, you know, I'd rather, you know, I, I've always tell people, you know, the reason we don't have kids is because I'd be in jail. I'd kill them. And so, you know, I'm thinking, okay, well, okay, this Alatine thing, all right. Well, you know, Al-Anon, I've never returned, turned down an Al-Anon request. I said, okay, well, this is the way it's going to be. I said, this is not going to be my group. This is going to be our group as a whole. We're going to sponsor this group together. So when, when I have problems or I need to be out of town or something like that, we will do this deal. And I said, we're going to have it on a night that works out for me. So we had it on a Friday night. I mean, like massive amounts of kids all show up. And all these kids come in and, you know, they all know me because I know their parents and I've, you know, been to their houses and hung out with them and... They'll come in and they think, oh, wow, this pen, you know, this is going to be really cool. And I said, okay, we're going to set down some ground rules right now. Number one, I am not the babysitter. Number two, I know every single one of your parents, and they gave me permission to put you over my knee. And number three, I hate kids. And let me tell you what them little devils did. They, like, wrapped me around their little finger. I'm not kidding you. Man, and you think, you got little ones at home and you don't think they know what's going on. I'm telling you, right now, they know everything that's going on. I don't care how small they are. It is spooky what they know. We had kids come into that meeting that learned how to read in that meeting. And I'm telling you what, there were times where I had to fight back the tears. I had to fight back the tears. There's times where I wanted to, I mean, burst out laughing at some of the things that are going on. But those kids, I mean, I basically said, this is the way we're going to do this. And this is the way I was taught. We're going to have the uh preamble the opening you'll go around you'll read the steps go around read the traditions somebody picks out you know somebody's a chairperson they read the daily reading we go around we introduce and we have a topic and those kids together they voted in a group representative an alternate group representative a treasurer a secretary they did all of those things they got involved in the area they had like an annual skating party they they got money together they paid rent they split their money. They sent money to district. I mean, those were the things that I was taught in this program. Whenever they asked me a question, I didn't pop it off the top of my head. Because people that I, when I grew up, and that's really what I did. I grew up in this program. When I grew up in this program, people went to the book. And when you go to the book, then they, they know where to go to the book now. So we went to the book and we look up the answers in the books. And that's kind of how we did the deal. Recently, we've been down to uh, one about one member. And uh, let me tell you, we struggled with that for a while. We got the group involved. You know, it's a group thing. Got the group involved. And my group has decided that um, we're going to do a little PI work. We're going to work with the uh, minister of the church. We're going to do some different things there. But I'm telling you what, if I had not been involved, I mean, that was a God deal. If I had not been involved with that Allateen group, I think I would have missed out. And that's why I keep coming, is because I'm not going to miss out. I don't want to miss one minute. I mean, it's almost like gossip, kind of. But this is my good stuff. It's like my medicine, my syrup, you know, my cough syrup, whatever. This is like what I take for my disease. This is what I do. And it's like I wouldn't know, I don't think I'd know anything else. A design for living, I mean, this is what I do when people say, Man, Pen, you know, you're kind of hardcore on Al-Anon. It's like, that's okay. Hey, I'd rather be addicted to Al-Anon than be addicted to the alcoholic again. I'm telling you what, I remember those feelings when they come back. When we get a newcomer that's talking about being addicted to the alcoholic, I know exactly how that feels. Exactly how that feels. I mean, you cannot think of anything else but. And I'll tell you, I wish I would have brought my, um, my literature, but I always refer to this page. On page 13 of the One Day at a Time book, it tells me that I need not live in fear anymore. I don't need to do that anymore that I've got all of you people, and thank goodness for that. You know, it's things that I need to do like this and get up and chair the area, chair the area meetings. I'm looking over at Pam because she does that too, and I'm telling you what, there's times when I've been involved in service and I've gone home and I've thrown my books on the table and I go, what a thankless effing job. <laughs> you know, but there wasn't a minute that didn't go by that I didn't learn something from it. I mean, it was like it linked right with what was going on with my job. If I didn't learn that in Al-Anon, you know, practice it in Al-Anon, you know, like a little controversy, oh, heck, don't be afraid of that. Get in there and do it because what's a better place to practice those kinds of things, you know, than to do it in Al-Anon with friends and people that you know? And then I could go do it like what I call in the real world, you know, out there with my worker bees and stuff. And I have benefited and gotten back like threefold. I cannot give enough away. And so I'm hoping with all of that that if anything, if you're new, Or if you're feeling alone, this is like a we deal. You know, if it hadn't been, I could not do this by myself. This is a we deal. And that's why those steps are like in plural. That's what it told me. So thank you, everyone. I really appreciate it.